Uh, maybe I'm nitpicking, but I thought Odero could have done better with Insigne's goal. And those lovely notes of Giuseppe Verdi mean time for another edition of Serie A Sit-Down, World Football Index's podcast by fans who tell it like it is and tell it at the highest of levels. And it's about Calcio, in case you uh, hadn't noticed. Uh, I'm Frank Cravello. I am the host of the Serie A Sit-Down. And uh, joining me, as always, is co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. You're sounding extra smooth tonight. I like it. What's going on, man? It was, uh, for, for the Catholics out there, it was the blessing of the throats <laughs> over the weekend. So I went to Mass, and uh, you know, I had my throat blessed, and uh, that inspired me to get a new mic. Nice. So, it's funny how that all works together. It's great. Good. Well, I'm glad yeah, to hear it. The, the two events are, are, are not related to each other at all, just so you know. <laughs> I just happened to go to Mass on the blessing of the throats. So I, can't, I, I don't remember the saint that they mentioned that, uh, you know, uh, engineered this, but Gigio? for lack of a better word, but, but go ahead. No, what were you going to say? Santi Gigio? Yeah, Santi, yeah, that, let's go with that. <laughs> let's go with that, Santi Gigio. So, um, so yeah, so no, I, I, your ears do not deceive you, I have a new mic. Uh, I just, uh, you know, the dulcet tones of one Richard Carmen just inspired me that uh, I need to stop sounding like I live in a cave. So, uh, so here we are, um, and uh, we do have a guest this week, uh, and he is completing. He will have completed his hat trick of appearances here on the Serie A Sit Down uh, after this recording. He is a Serie A opinionist, writer, uh, vlogger. Um, he's done over 500 pieces for Italian Football Daily. Uh, he's done work for Touchline 365. Uh, we welcome back Rocco Fasano. Ciao, Rocco. Hey, hey, guys, what's happening? Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, always a pleasure to have you. Your information's good, so you, we, we keep bringing you back. So um, we, we we don't like guests who don't give us good information. So, uh, right. so a, hat, right. a hat trick puts All you right. in pretty good. A hat trick puts you in pretty good company, my friend. Congratulations. <laughs> and it's an honor, man. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So uh, you know, you know. Don't let any anything fool you about how Calcio is boring. I mean, there are 22 goals, which is kind of low by Serie A standards, but still more goals than than points in that uh, uh, you know that run throw ball game that they played yesterday. So um, you know we've got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, you know, Serie A has been pretty explosive as far as goals going. At least Saturday was going to be it was <laughs> I was hoping Saturday was going to be a precursor to the rest of the weekend. Uh, but just about all the goals were scored on uh, Saturday. I think we had uh, we had a two-two, we had a three-nil, and we had a three-three. So we had uh, thirteen of the twenty-two goals scored on Saturday, and then uh, then after that, uh, some pretty uh, some pretty tight, intense matchups. But uh, we're going to break it all down, uh, and we are going to begin with the game that took place on Sunday night um, at the Olimpico, Roma and Milan. Um, a very pivotal game for both teams. Uh, Roma, uh, last we saw them, um, they would rather you not have seen them, uh, took a battering at the hands of Fiorentina in the Coppa Italia by seven goals to one. Aiden Dzeko, uh, straight red card in 
what appeared to be an incident where he spat in the face of the referee. I don't think that showed up in the referee's report uh, because he only got – help me with this, Rocco. Was it a two-game Copa I Italia think it was two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think so it was – very, very light when you consider the footage that that you will see from the incident that led to the red. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, uh, you know, in in the uh, world of Lega Calcio and in the world of the FIGC, what you do in Coppa Italia doesn't carry over to Serie A. So Aiden Dzeko did get to play in this game, um, you know, and uh, was part of the uh, formation that uh, Eusebio Di Francesco uh, put out. And let's run through that real quick. Um, he goes with uh, Robin Olsen in goal as he's been going with all season. His back four was uh, Karsdorp getting a start on the right, uh, the uh, center back pairing that we affectionately refer to as Fanolas, uh, Federico Fazio, and Costas Manolas, and then Alexander Kolarov on the left. Uh, midfield, he goes with Daniele De Rossi and uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini uh, with uh, Alessandro Florenzi. Uh, operating on the right-hand side, and then um, it looked like, uh, excuse me, D- Daniele De Rossi sat in front of the back four, uh, and then um, you had Florenzi, you had Pellegrini. I don't even know what Di Francesco does anymore, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, that's just where I'm at with him. Jekko and Schick starting together up front, and then you obviously had uh, Nick, the ever-dangerous and the uh, ever-star-rising Nicolo Zaniolo uh, part of that uh, formation. Uh, Rocco, your thoughts uh, with what Roma lined up going into this game? What a stud that Zaniolo guy is, isn't he? The guy, oh, yeah. like, what a, what, a, what a deal Inter did for giving up uh, in order to get Nangolan, they gave up Zaniolo, Money, and uh, Santon, hmm. which is absolutely boggling right considering what's going on at intern i'm not going to go there yet <laughs> but you know um the francesco has uh, has been struggling all season with um first with a 4-3-3 and then a variation of that and uh he just puts he's he, he's he really seems to be either completely out of ideas or he's fooling us all. He knows exactly what he's doing and, you know, gearing Roma up for a great end of the season. Uh, disappointing so far as far as the league is concerned. In the Champions League, they 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 were able to pull one off and now they're going to play Porto. So they got lucky there. But, um, yeah, uh, I do, the, one, the one aspect that I should highlight as a positive is the fact that he's playing that he happens to be playing uh, a rather large Italian contingent for a team that is in the upper end of uh, the Serie A standings. And and I'm not saying this to be, you know, tribal or, you know, you're trying to pump up Italy, but we, in the wake of World Cup uh, being missed, I think it's important and a positive sign for Italian footballers and the future of the Italian national team to see to see uh, a, a bigger number of Italians on on a team of this caliber. We, uh, you know, left off the uh, UEFA Nations League with feeling like Mancini has his midfield with Jorginho, uh, Marco Verratti, and Nicola Barrera, uh, but certainly Zaniolo uh, is, is, is having something to say about this and the role he's going to have. I definitely agree with you there, uh, and he did make his presence felt in this match. Um, you know, uh, 
Milan went with uh, a expected four three three with very with with no surprises in all reality. Gigio Donnarumma in goal. It was a back four of Calabria, Musacchio, Romagnoli, and Rodriguez. Uh, the midfield three, uh, Bakayoko, who has been outstanding, uh, maybe uh, a little bit of a struggle for him in this game in particular. We'll talk about that momentarily uh, with Frank Cassi and Lucas Paqueta uh, flanking him. And then in attack, you had uh, uh, Christoph Piantek uh, being flanked by Suzo and Hakan Chalhanolu, or Chalhanolu. Uh, Richard, Milan's formation, pretty straightforward. There's really not a whole lot you can deviate from this. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, this seems to be the tried and true lineup as of late, and it seems to be working very well for Milan. Um, yeah, there's no reason why they should deviate from this. Muzacchio has kind of become a revelation as a partner for Romagnoli. Uh, we, a lot of people have been clamoring for him uh, throughout the season. They kept putting Zapata and other guys in there, but uh, it seems like Romagnoli's got a dance partner right now, and this is your pretty much standard 4-3-3 that you're going to see here on out. A defensive side in Milan that's in form. When you consider Donnarumma's performances and when you can p- consider the performances of the defense, they've just come off 180 minutes uh, keeping Napoli out of their goal. Um, they they won at Genoa and got a clean sheet out of that. And then the Supercopa uh, played a very tight match and lost 1-0 to Juventus. So uh, throughout the month of January, just one goal conceded. Um, and... Uh, it would be what they did going forward and what they did in Roma's third that would set up the goal. And it was some good pressure from Lucas Paqueta in the corner. He would get the ball. Uh, I just love Piantek's movement on this. I mean, the replay just captures it perfectly, Rocco. He backs away. If you watch him, I didn't watch Paqueta on the ball and then on the replay. Watch Piantek and watch his position. He starts by backing away and kind of starting to drift closer to the to the uh, to the backside of the box or working his way kind of towards around where the penalty spot was and then once Paqueta broke free and was ready to cross he just broke for it and cut in front of Fazio uh, it was a near post ball played in by Paqueta Piantic was there to touch it in uh, and put Milan ahead 1-0 I mean that's just that's just classic number nine instincts isn't it absolutely I mean this guy in his in his moves um, and his he can smell a goal like you can tell this guy is a true, you know, what we call in Italian, ariete, uh, which, funny enough, uh, means goat. But, <laughs> but it, it's, it's the, the nickname that they would give to your, your true striker, your true number nine. Instinct for goal, uh, you know, just turns around, gives it a shot, gives it a go, bolt back of the net, typical, very much... Uh, like name any of them back from the nineties when we were, when I was growing up, um, you know, Van Basten or Casiraghi or, uh, even, even current day, uh, someone like who's had, who has a similar smell for goal generally, probably not as of late given inter struggles, but Icardi, you know, this, this kid here, I, I think Milan, um, has, has made a great deal to, to acquire Piontek. Absolutely. And um, Richard, uh, Paqueta to Piantec, and these two are the signings from January in Milan, and, and have they ever paid dividends so far for the Rossoneri? Yeah, I mean, this is a second assist in consecutive games for Paqueta to Piantec. He seems already, they're on the same page already. Uh, there's been, there's word uh, after the game against Napoli that pre-match Piantec and Paqueta got together, and they talked about how they wanted uh, the passes to go to him, and 
you can see they both they both are looking for each other at all times, and and Pian, uh, Paqueta in particular, uh, he seems to have jumped into the squad. He's he's not trying to do too much, but when he gets the ball, uh, you can see he has some special moves in him. He's got some vision in him, uh, but he's taking his time and striding in there and gliding around and looking for the open open spots because uh, he drifts all around the, the attacking half, which is good. You want to see for a playmaker and. Uh, he did. Ex- he has excellent ball control. Uh, you saw in the corner where he held. He holds off a defender. I think it was Karzirup. Went around him uh, first to steal the ball from him, then to get it, shield him away, then then evade him, and then find Piantic at the near post. Uh, great play by Paqueta, and, and obviously Piantic, like you guys said, uh, poacher's instinct there. It's smart if that if that's been happening with uh, Paqueta and Piantic to just get together and just talk beforehand or talk away from the rest of the team and say, hey, do you see the rest of these guys? This is on us. <laughs> so. <laughs> we got to get this done without him. So, or at least the uh, at least some of the guys going forward. Chalanolu has just not had a very good season. Um, Suzo is starting to have that uh, uh, you know period in the season where he gets into his funk and just doesn't do a whole lot. And uh, you know, I, I think I saw a tweet from our friend Matt Santangelo which pointed that out. Um, and uh, you know, so. You know, Kessie is uh, is doing an awful lot of running. Bakioko is breaking things up in the midfield, and so you know some of the create some of the creativity and some of the scoring chances and stuff like that. If it's got to come from Paqueta, and if it's got to come from Piantec, while uh, the rest of the team tries to get uh, get back in gear and to get back in form, uh, you know, so be it. I mean, the, the team still has to find a way to get it done. So. If, I don't have a problem with them if they're really chatting privately, but I'm also not starting any controversies uh, here at City. I sit down to see if they're really doing that. I don't want to. I don't want us to be the podcast that starts turmoil in the dressing room over there. So, um, Frank, Frank, to be to be completely fair, I mean, uh, Suso did have a few games off. He was, um, I think, he was suspended for for a few, or or was injured. I think he's the type of player that needs like your daily dose of football and you know you get him you get him you know give him a couple more games he'll find his stride uh exactly you know exactly where he left off do you guys think that uh the fact that Higuain has now left Milan you think Suso has suffered as a result like was there something about what Higuain used to do in order to I know it may seem unthinkable with Piontek scoring you know uh, being so prolific as soon as he he's joined you guys uh but was there something that Iguain used to do that uh, that Suso benefited from, or is this just uh, like an like an exogenous kind of uh, reason why think, why Suso dropped off? I think it seems that like towards you know up until now, maybe the last month or so, or maybe two months, Suso's been trying to do too much, where he was effective, and then he started like wanting to take over games and become the man and and try to not only spread the ball around but mostly get goals as well and. I think by him trying to do too much, he got out of his game and become ineffective completely. And uh, before he wasn't, you know, when the ball came to him, yeah, he'd do his things. But now it seems like he's just trying too much and going all around the pitches to get the ball and try to try to score a goal any way he can. And it's uh, it's affecting his game, affecting the team's game. I think there's aspects of his game that get predictable. Um, I think we've t- we've said here from time to time on Serie I sit down that he almost seems like he wants to be the Spanish Aryan Robin. Um, and when you watch Robin. I'm sorry. Say, say that again. The cutback. Yeah, yeah. Where he wants to, he gets the ball on the right. He he he's one v one with the fullback. He wants to take him on, cut inside, and try to score on his left foot. You know, and it it seems like he wants to do that time and time again. He'll try to attempt that at least three or four times a game. And I think that there are defenders in this league that have have started to figure that out a little bit. And I do, I just don't think Suzo 
quite has the pace that Arian Robin does, and that's why Arian Robin has been able to pull it off for so long in his career. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. That sounds about right. It reminds me a bit of uh, of uh, just watching a, a few games that Spinazzola's played for Juve. I'm, I'm flabbergasted as to why the man is played on a on a left back as a left back every time. He's he basically only has a uh, has only shown his right foot, uh, and just in, in a few occasions in the last game there against Parma, he's actually crossed with his left. Apparently, he's ambidextrous, but. Sure. We didn't know sure. that I didn't know this until until I had to see it. I'm like, why is he playing left? So, but as a for a striker, I can see that right, and it seems to be the trend seems to be on with uh, playing wingers on their quote wrong foot. But as a left back, I was that that kind of left me a little puzzled. So anyway, just just quick aside. Yeah, I mean, and the the reason and. and it's clearly reason to do that when when teams try to you know monopolize possession and they're trying to get numbers going forward, you know having the opposite foot on you know a right a left footed right winger, you cut inside you can kind of get into some inside positions and it opens the flank for your fullback to go around you who's naturally right footed, you know same thing on the left hand side you're right you're a right footed winger, you're cutting in and it gives room for your left footed fullback to get around you and maybe be able to deliver the cross if you've got to go that direction so. Um, you know, I I don't think that, you know, it, just because he's not producing goals and assists, I don't think he's particularly struggling. I'll take a step back from that. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, I'm looking at his statistics from this game against Roma. Shot on target, shot off target, shot blocked. Uh, a couple of crosses, and uh, he was fouled four times. And these are elements that are telling you that, hey, he's still trying to go at people. He's creating things where he's getting, he's getting fouled, and he's, whether it's creating free kicks, it's creating... You know, some kind of scoring chance in the third. He's still doing some. He's still doing some things to have some influence on the game. Just because he's not getting the goals and the assists, you know, doesn't mean that he's, you know, not having some effect on the game. But he has been such a key performer to Milan going forward that, you know, he's measured by. He's at a point where he's measured by being able to provide goals and being able to uh, to assist goals. So, uh, you know, and I think that that's where sometimes there gets to be a little bit of a push on him that, okay, you're, you're at this level, uh, more is expected of you and we need you to deliver. So, uh, you know, interesting side note on that, on, on, uh, on, on Suzo. Roma had a lot of chances in this game. I'll, I'll go so far to say Roma had the better chances in this game. Uh, but if it wasn't for Gianluigi Donnarumma, who I, I don't have a problem making the man of the match, uh, had a very, had a fantastic double save, uh, in the first half, I believe the uh, the first one was a header from Sheik off a cross uh, that he got low to save, and then that was rolling straight to Aiden Jekko, 1v1. Uh, and uh, you count on a guy like Jekko to go ahead and score that, but Donnarumma saves that as well. One of the better double saves I've seen uh, in quite some time, Richard. Yeah, that was uh, that was great. When I saw the first save, the, when he got down, you know, for a big guy to get down like that, save it with his palm, um, I was like, oh, that's fantastic. Then I said, uh oh, goes right to Jekyll. I'm like, what a what a bonehead play. Gets up right away like you should. Uh, went out at the at the shooter and and cut off the angles and made a big save there. So great, great play by Donnarumma. I mean, like you said, he single handedly pretty much kept uh, got Milan a point in this game because uh, he made tremendous saves throughout the game. Rocco, on a different day, Roma's going into halftime up at least two one, right? Yeah, no, they definitely had um, had the line share of the chances in the in the first half. And to be fair, um, you know, they had overall, I think, about 17, 18 
total shots on goal. Seven of those were on target. Their uh, pass accuracy was a little uh, wanting, but this maybe speaks to uh, a little more daring uh, football, a little more open football that um, that uh, Di Francesco, uh, Di Francesco's side tend to play. So yeah, yeah. The first half, Roma did did look like um, you know they 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 should have uh, they should have been up to one. Yeah, for sure. Uh... But uh, they would get a chance at the beginning of the second half. Uh, just uh, what appeared to be some confusion in the Milan penalty area deflected off uh, one of the center backs. Then Donnarumma got a hand to it. Uh, but it fell uh, to the back post from where the ball came from, and it fell invitingly to that man, Nicolo Zagnolo, uh, who scores the equalizer for the Giavarossi. Uh, 46th minute there, 1-1, and game on. Um, and from there, I found things to be relatively balanced you know i think more roma's more of roma's better chances came in the first half um but then the incident that uh, i think had everybody talking in the second half uh suzo gets the ball in the right hand side of the penalty area uh tries to go 1v1 with uh alexander kolarov um i you know it almost reminds you of uh, the american football with the uh <laughs> Uh, the Rams and the Saints, where the pass interference yeah. penalty didn't get called. I mean, this is this is this was the Calcio version of that. I mean, uh, Kolarov uh, just stopped short of mauling Suzo uh, in the penalty area. Uh, the referee uh, does not call it on the spot there, and uh, VAR doesn't even bother to look at it. How strange is this, Rocco? Yeah, I think you got. I think you got that twisted, though. I, I think it was uh, what happened in the NFL uh, was the. Uh, was the city version of uh, of gridiron football? <laughs> <laughs> we see that kind of stuff all the time, guys. Week in, right? week out. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, you know, let me let me uh, let me put my uh, Milan uh, uh, my closet case Milanista cap on here and uh, <laughs> and say that you know there was there was a foul on that you know that uh, Emre Can committed on Conti in the Supercoppa that you know why no var? What happened? Like. Yep. Really, like we can't. What's VAR good for? Um, and I get the suspicion that at the next opportunity, which I believe is at the end of March, um, the there will be strong recommendations being made by the AIC, the Italian um, uh, Refereeing Association, to uh, suggest changes to the uh, VAR protocol. Because clearly, this uh, this time around, the VAR, the VAR protocol that has been in power since. Enforced since the World Cup, uh, this last World Cup is uh, is not working. Is closet, closet Milanista, huh? the uh, the right? uh, the effect <laughs> of uh, going on Milan Weekly Pod and being subjected to the presidential points, right? Right. What's going on? Right. Like that's that's, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to wonder that about myself. You know, I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, really? <laughs> oh man. Presidente works in Presidente works in mysterious ways, I think. So yeah, yeah. Stephen yeah, Stephen Vinny will gentle. definitely tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Stonewall penalty, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, when when Kolarov's involved, nine times out of ten, I'm going to take Kolarov's side. But this time was not the case. I think this was it was as an out and out penalty, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, Kolarov clearly shoves him to the ground and. Uh, yeah, I don't know how they did not go to. I, I I can see how they didn't call it during the game, but they should be call, going to VAR. That's what VAR is there for, right? They didn't do that, and it makes you wonder. I mean, this whole game was a shoddy refereeing 
Uh, and that was just a that was a icing on the cake right there on that play where it's everyone in the world, even even Roma fans were like, "You're not going to VAR, really?" Like, yeah. So I don't know. I don't understand it, but hey, it, it is what it is. But uh, it, it makes all of us talk, huh? So uh, yeah, uh, it, it was certainly a penalty in my book. But I mean, what, what can you do? Seven who, yellow who cards. Was the match of, who was the match official? Was it uh, Maresca? Yeah, I, I can't. Think I, I think it was Maresca. Let me have and, a look and here. That's really really weird because he's not typically like unlike Banti who officiated the Supercopa he, he doesn't strike me as a guy who's not willing to go and check right go up the the pre the, the older uh dudes uh referees <laughs> typically uh there's a few of them that shy away or you know kind of they're more stubborn about about that and they're not as accepting as the technology of the technology but Maresca, it's it's really odd. That kind of officiating was was really odd. And you know, to be fair, he's I think he's at his uh, maybe second, maybe third year in which he he's that he's officiating at, at these types of games. I'm not saying that. Right. Yeah, he's officiated in B. He officiated, you know, uh, you know, barn burners at the bottom of the of the table. But he didn't really. I didn't really see him officiate like big big matches. So. They were Maresca, saying, Maresca, the, Maresca, by the way, he's the official that uh, uh, was involved. He was he had the uh, the Kievo Juventus match last January with the incident uh, with uh, Cacciatore. Um, so that, that's where I that's where I remember his name from. And he has uh, the mo- he's given up the most yellow cards this season. For what I remember hearing before uh, during the game at the very beginning, they were saying, "Oh, he's he's given up the most yellow cards this, this season." Uh, seven. Kinda, Seven of them in this game, and only four of them were for fouls. Uh, two for arguments. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, it was Paqueta and Kessie each getting one for arguments, and then yep. uh, Calabria getting one for time wasting in the end. Pretty card happy dude. I don't know. I don't know what to make. What to make of? of I think. I think sometimes uh, some of these guys are not ready. Not ready for this uh, level, or just not not Power having trip. a great day. This definitely wasn't wasn't one of those. Yeah, you know, there's some there's some officials that are uh, really touchy, right? Like though, yeah. the the second that you turn around and and you speak back to them, is bang, you know, there goes the card. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to get touched. They don't want to be spoken to. That's it. So, not I, I and I do forget the Cachatore incident. It's been. These kinds of anti against you episodes <laughs> get completely erased from my mind, so I, I don't, I can't remember it quite. Uh, I think there was uh, some handcuffs gesture involved, or yeah. was that it? Yeah, that's what it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but uh, but yeah. So one um, one it finished. I found the last 30 minutes of the game to be relatively balanced. I don't think anybody, I think Lex South had a, had a nice chance toward the end. Yeah, um, that was crazy. Wow. Yeah. I, I, what a, what a, they just completely got stoned by Olsen on that one. Yeah. yeah it's very much like Sanabria's um, goal against, um, against us. Swallow. he just had a chance to just hook it and, you know, ram it into the, into the corner. And I don't know if it was, if he didn't angle it right or, if uh, you know, but I, you got to give you know, 80 percent of the credit. I think goes to Olsen to just stone him point blank. That was crazy. 
Let, let me ask you this, Rocco. Okay, we have a draw here between these two teams, Roma and Milan. Considering what Roma came off of in the Coppa Italia uh, and considering that this team played with some intent, in particular the first half, um, or Milan who, uh, you know, went to the Olimpico and gained, got a point, held on, and held on to fourth position. Um, who comes away, who should come away more satisfied with this draw? Well, I think I think Milan was the away team here, and you know when I was growing up, uh, they used to have the uh, the rankings separated out, and there was this one column that I never understood, and it was there was a plus minus, and it was called media inglese, which means English average, and points are doled out based on uh, basically you would get a zero, and a team that would get a zero average is a team who would win all their home games and draw all their away games because ideally you would have a really good showing and a team would end up having a great season if they had ended up with a quote zero but if you lost that home you'd get like minus three um or if you lost away from home you get minus one you know that type of thing if you won away from home you get minus two plus two you know so i think all in all a draw away from home, Milan holding fourth place, holding off uh, the team uh, the team that was closest to them in that race. I think Milan has to look at this uh, overall as a uh, as more of a W than an L for sure. Richard, are you are you good with that? Yeah, and I mean, I I certainly am, and I, but I also got to give Roma a moral victory in the sense that they they got blown up midweek against uh, Fiorentina. And everyone was looking at at Eusebio De Francesco saying, "Are you you're going to be gone, buddy? You're gone. Another poor performance. You're gone." Roma had to step up, and they did. I mean, if it wasn't for Donnarumma, they would have won this game. Uh, they they showed up in the game. Maybe the crowd didn't like it so much, but I thought the performance was a very very good comeback from what they what they suffered pretty much all season up to especially midweek. Uh, it's good performance by them. So I mean, both I think both teams can certainly take away take it away as a win. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of well, guys. Guys, say what you will about about this Roma team and about Di Francesco, who we all recall was is one of Zeman's pupils. And of course, he's not Zeman, but he's also not Zeman. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the way you got to say about this team is that he's been. This is the game where after seven-one beating like that, you can have your entire uh, you can have a mutiny on your hands. Right, and that was it. And everyone, management will look and say, "Hey, you know what? Di Francesco has lost the plot. He's lost the dressing room. He's gone." But no, his players rallied around him and supported him. So there's going to be something about this guy that, and something about this game, even though it wasn't a win, that can begin to be the turn turnaround point for this for Roma season. And to be honest. If their season objective is to reach that final uh, UEFA Champions League berth spot, you know they're only uh, a point away, I believe, from, yeah. from Milan. So they're well poised, and this is not the time to throw in the towel. No, I, I agree with that. There, I think that uh, it's it's a satisfying performance, despite not getting the win for Eusebio Di Francesco. Uh, because it's it's that seven one beat that seven one defeat in the Coppa Italia is a perfect scenario where a, a manager could lose a dressing room at that point. And you know the way Roma performed, it almost suggests that the players were rallying to saying, "Hey, we just had a, we had a bad night. We're going to get this right." And I, I you know 
they had the they had the better chances. They probably had more of the quality chances to win this game. Milan, as an away team, probably had the number of chances you would want to see from an away team to give themselves a chance. But Roma, you know, had some superior, uh, you know, opportunities. Um, you know, and uh, for me, and, and for that reason, I, I make Donnarumma the man of the match, only just over um, Olsen for Roma, who had the big stop in the end on Laxalt. Uh, so that's my man of the match. I'm going with Gigio. Uh, Richard, how about you? Yeah, it's Donnarumma and not even close, I think. I think, yeah, also made some big saves and some of the guys have some, some good parts in the game, but Donnarumma made some outstanding saves back over and over and over again. Uh, he was a 12 out of 10 for me. Rocco, are you, are we unanimous here? Yeah, I think so. And this, this performance by Donnarumma reminds me, reminds me of, the uh, his first season where I would argue he he bought you guys ten points in the in the league that year for yeah, sure easily yeah so yeah. so I'm hoping I'm hoping for the sake of the um, future of uh, Italian football and the national team that he keeps this up and uh, and and we see that growth and confidence you know for a while there it looked like he was eating his uh, his pay raise so. <laughs> Now it's it's time to to put those big performances up and really show that uh, he's worth the money. It's definitely starting to he's, he's starting to get it now and learning how to be learning how to how to be a goalkeeper with a lot of money uh, versus back when he was just a goalkeeper. So, um, but yeah, one one it ended in our main game of uh, match week twenty two between Roma and Milan. Your reactions go to at Syria sit down on Twitter or Instagram with your thoughts. Richard is going to give us yet another decent undercard this week. You say decent undercard. I say a fantastic undercard. And we're going to start with one the one game as a neutral I think most fans wanted to watch, and that was Napoli hosting Sampdoria. Uh, the, obviously, the big draw on this one is Quagliarella trying to break Batti goals record, Gabriel Battistuta for most goals in consecutive games, going back to basically his boyhood club, which is Napoli, uh, at the San Paolo. Uh, all eyes wanted to know, would he do it? Would Who would win this game? If you look at it, Frank, uh, based on a waveform for Sampdoria in this particular case, odds had to be stacked up against him, wasn't it? I wanted to talk to because I saw um, you know Ken and, and Rafa tweeting about this game in the buildup, and I, you know, I I, I just said to them, I said, you know what, it, it's Sampdoria away. This is three points for you in the bag, um, but just do us a solid win, like four one, and let Quagliarella get this goal, and you know it, it, it's. <laughs> Maybe not as impressive, and Nima Tavali brought this point up on uh, on Twitter. What Batistuta did over that in eleven straight games um, far more impre- maybe far more impressive than what Qualiorella has done because Batistuta did it in a league where it was much tougher to score goals. The teams were better. Defense um, is much better. Yep, the defenses were much better, and I very much agree with that. I've got no problem with that. It just would have been fun to see a new record, uh, especially one of that, and especially one accomp- one by an accomplished striker in this league. Rocco, in this game, we yeah. we know the last two games for Napoli in particular, both against Milan, they struggled and that they get, they scored no goals and they lost the game. They got eliminated from the Coppa Italia. So what what was their psyche like? You know, you're you're yes, you're coming back home, but then you get you're facing a striker like Quagliarella. The team that team has been playing fairly well as of late. So what was what was Napoli's psyche going into this match? Yeah, and I think a testament to 
the uh, to the mental strength of um, Ancelotti and, and of his men was to uh, to be able to bounce back, uh, and and you kind of I kind of felt that this was you got you got that on, from a lot of teams that that did get uh, bounced from the uh, Coppa Italia. You know, they, there was there was this spirit, this fighting spirit. Not all of them, of course, won, uh, but the spirit to to come back and. Uh, and to really show for, uh, you know, show their fans that you know we're we're not we're not happy with uh, Coppa Italia elimination and at the quarterfinal stage, um, and you know what they they got shut down by Milan in 180 minutes, which is I think overall it shows it's a testament to to Milan uh, because Sampdoria were, were not able to stop them, uh, and uh, you know. Um, the other the other push factor was um, yeah trying to stop Qualerella from scoring and also giving uh, Hamshik a proper adieu uh, as he was all set to go to uh, to China. Yeah. So yeah. Then, yeah, the big buzz before the game was that this could be Hamshik's last game, and in fact, it was. Uh, what we found out afterwards, uh, as you said, he's going to China. Uh, so this game, you know, meant a lot to both squads, uh, particularly in Napoli. They wanted to put off, you know, bring have a good performance after the, the the stinkers they put up against Milan. And man, they started quick. They got back to their scoring ways very quickly. Uh, two goals within a minute. In fact, uh, started in the 25th minute when Callejon uh, crossed the crossed the pass to Arkadiusz Milik. Uh, he scores a goal, wonderful goal. Uh, and before you can even say Arkadiusz Milik, uh, Napoli are coming right back down the pitch. And then Lorenzo Insigne gets a goal. That's two goals in a minute, Frank. Napoli, they, uh, there's a quick strike offense there that we don't see too often with them, but we know they can score in bunches. Yeah, and um, uh, the, the first goal, what a cross by Callejon, first of all. Uh, that was pinpoint. Um, it escaped every Sampdoria defender on the way to Milik. And then uh, I believe he uh, assisted uh, Lorenzo Insigne's goal. So... Um, you, you, the usual suspect scoring goals, but good to see you know Callejon put in a performance like this and uh, and, and be a creator. You know, in a game where um, you know Fabian Ruiz was missing, uh, you know, and he had been doing some pretty good stuff, you know, in terms of creating, passing, getting people involved, and his play was starting to grow. He was suspended for this game. Uh, good to see Callejon step up again and have a nice role here, and I, I think that he should get some credit uh, for his involvement on the two goals. Um, but yeah, it was a beautiful cross for Milik, and then uh, Insigne with just the, you know, just the quick whip with that shot uh, to score to make that second goal. I thought Adara could have done a little bit better with it, but you know, when you think about it and you look at the replay and you look at how it happened, Insigne turned so quickly uh, in one touch, um, and it was a well taken goal by him. So two quality goals for Napoli uh, to you know to help get them back on track after uh, after what was a pretty rough week. Yeah, and, and, you know, at least for Sampdoria's sake, they only went to halftime down to nothing. Rocco, it's, you know, as always when you play against Napoli, possession is going to be hard to come by. But uh, in particular this match, you know, the, everyone was waiting to see if Qualiello was going to get his opportunities. And really, it was he didn't get many opportunities, neither did Sampdoria. It just Napoli came with a purpose in this game, and, and they were full intent of not losing this and, and trying to score as many goals as possible. 
some thought yet, and we and we discussed this the last time I was on. They're the ultimate Jekyll and Hyde team, aren't they? No kidding. Right? No They'll kidding. show up one game and like just you know five nothing, five two, five four, whatever. Uh, it's put they put three past Napoli in the in the uh, reverse match, um, in the uh, Yandata, and you know what? You just see this kind of stuff and. I knew it. When when you when you see this kind of thing, you're like, yeah, this is one of those games where Giampaolo's men will probably try to string a bunch of passes together. But, you know, episode one, episode two, they'll concede and then they just won't be able to respond. Exactly. That's yep. exactly what happened in this game right here. Um, and, and even they struggled big time in uh, against... Uh, in the final third, um, and you know, you saw Quagliarella do some improbable things where he tried to, and he just would take the ball and like drag it out and like shoot from a really awkward angle, uh, just just so just so he can at least trying to or struggling to create any kind of offense. I didn't, I didn't, don't remember any uh, any big dangerous chances to score by Sampdoria. Um, it kind of it was kind of disappointing, and for those who wanted to see. Uh, Quagliarella put together uh, a good performance and or at least, sorry, score a goal uh, and, and break that record. It, it looked like Napoli barely gave Sampa a sniff here. It, uh, there were some moments in the second half um, that, you know, to me, uh, Quagliarella was getting desperate. Um, you can just kind of see yeah. it in his body language. You can kind of see it in how he was turning to his players. And it, it looked like, you know, they weren't bypassing him, but it looked like... You know, he was just so closed off, and credit you know who for that, um, <laughs> and uh, Koulibaly, and because some people yeah. don't know uh, still, which yeah. is a shame. Yeah. Um, you know that I think that that's where the desperation came from. I mean, he was marked out of the match, and everybody else was creating their own chance. Aponata had one that was a soft one right into the hands of Medit. Berezinski had a really nice volley. Um, from distance, uh, you know, kind of a you know deflection off of a corner kick uh, that was close. But after that, I agree, Rocco. Nothing, nothing else of substance from these guys. Yeah, barely made those. Those two probably made that would make a highlight reel, but nothing else. Nothing much else. And you know, they you, you could tell they tried uh, the build up from the back, but uh, you know that kind of thing works against mid. Uh, you know, uh, mid table and, and lower table sides, but when you're mixing up with the big boys, um, that 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 kind of pressure hard rarely works. I find. Yeah, and so you know, we again the game would continue on, and the moment that uh, all Napoli fans really didn't want to see uh, happened in the 74th minute. Merrick Hemschick would come off, uh, on would come on uh, Amadou Diawara. Uh, if you both could uh, just talk about what what what, this, what the captain means for for Napoli, what he's done for for that for that for that club in the 13 years or whatever he's been there for, um, Frank, if you can talk a little bit first about uh, Hamsik. He's a he's a Napoli icon. Um, you know he's uh, he's on the short list of names that you're gonna you're gonna bring up when you talk about the history of Napoli. Um, you know, uh, obviously. Diego Maradona is extremely revered in that town, um, but you're talking about a a player in Maradkamšić who really was through the highs and lows, um, you know, of Napoli 
uh, under the ownership of as, as Aurelio de Laurentiis, de Laurentiis was building this club. He was the constant, um, and uh, he was he, he led by example on the pitch. Uh, he was an example for the dressing room. Uh, he was respected by his teammates, as you could clearly see uh, when he came up and was substituted. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, he's an icon uh, in the history of Napoli and he's an icon of uh, Italian football. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Hamšík is going to be one of the uh, most revered uh, in the history of, uh, of, the, uh, of Napoli. Um, along with with some of the some of the greatest, uh, I mean, besides Maradona, you know, you you'll recall back in the day, uh, um, uh, uh, Sivori and uh, and yeah. uh, Careca and Alemão. Um, Hamšík was Napoli was reborn under, uh, and, and and of course this is while they were making their comeback after uh, their um, bankruptcy in uh, in that that. Took him down to C2 or what is now Serie D. Um, you know, uh, Pierpaolo Marino, who was their uh, their DS at the time, went to Brescia to 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 take a look at uh, Toretto. They were looking to sign, and on comes this uh, Mohawked uh, uh, foreigner uh, onto the team, and uh, the rest is history. Now that summer, uh, the following uh, summer, they signed uh, Hamšík along with uh, uh, El Piojo. Uh, and uh, and and that was uh, and that was it, right? And Napoli's fans, however, they protested uh, that those signings. They said, you know, De Laurentiis, enough signing youngsters. We want champions. Little did they know, they signed a champion. Yeah, yeah. Hamchik is a is a is a great player. I mean, not only not only for for Napoli for Serie A and. Um, he's such a great player. Yes, he's known for his iconic, his iconic mohawk and his tattoos. But I mean, this guy is a ball player. He's a fantastic playmaker, and uh, he learned to play in different positions. I mean, he was certainly an attacking uh, midfielder, but you know, through the years, he learned to play multiple multitude of positions in, in left midfield and whatnot. So um, he'll certainly be missed for sure. Uh, but I, I mean, any Napoli fan can admit, I'm sure that his time is 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 time to come now, right? His game plays on slower. Yeah. Pietro Zielinski's come in. He he's become a stud all of a sudden. You got Diawara who's chomping at the bit, and other players there that need that need some pitch time. So I think the time is now for for the movement to go. Um, and so speaking not of, only that, Richard. Yeah, sorry, not only that. I mean, come on, man. The guy's thirty three. He he has he has good, at least decent replacements. We're going to grow into that that position nicely. Yep. And you have. Uh, an offer of what twenty million coming in for a guy who you're going to lose in a year or two for zero? Yeah, you go for that. You yeah. go for that. It's a great business uh, proposition. Hundred percent, one hundred percent. And so the game, it, it was it, the scoreline remained two zero uh, until uh, Lorenzo Insigne would he would he would go out in the eighty third minute. In would come Simone Verde. Um, just a couple minutes into the game, into the game for Verde. Uh, luckily for him, uh, Joachim Anderson, he thought it was Super Bowl Sunday and, and handballed the, the, the ball inside the box. A penalty was called. Uh, Verdi would step up, score the goal, make it 3 nothing. Uh, that's all Napoli would need. Uh, they had, that's all they needed from the beginning. Uh, they won 3 nothing. Uh, a convincing win for Napoli. Frank, are you more impressed by the win or the loss by Sampdoria? 
I mean, I, I, it, it's if, if if there's if there was ever a banker, if you you know if you're a betting type, if there was ever a banker on this slate, it's Napoli at the San Paolo against Sampdoria away. It's just it's 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 as sure a thing as you could bet on. I could have bet my mortgage. I could have taken out a second mortgage and bet on this game, and I I would have done all right. So I wouldn't have had to worry about it, but I didn't. I don't I don't take that kind of risk. Um, so it was a complete performance from Napoli. Not one not one player was poor in this game, and that's what you want to see coming off an elimination from the Copa. Uh, you know, and coming off the 180 minutes where you don't score. Um, you want that turnaround, and you want uh, you want every man to be accounted for in this game. And in this and in this one, everybody stepped up. Uh, there wasn't one player on Napoli in this game that I could look at and say, "Yeah, you were poor." Uh, everybody was really good in this game, and uh, it was a complete team performance. Uh, even Mario Rui. Yeah, even Mario Rui, who you know we picked on last week and came under some criticism for how he handled being substituted, and you know. Ancelotti, the man manager that he is, ran him right back out there. You know, and we talked about this last week. We said, you know, if anybody's going to get that man's frustration, it's going to be Ancelotti. So, um, you know, put him back out there, and he stepped in and he performed admirably. Uh, so, yeah, complete team win from Napoli. Uh, Sampdoria really, really struggled across the board in this game. There really wasn't anybody that you could you could look at and say, yeah, this was a you know a, a good game from you. Um, you know. Uh, Quagliarella just got coolie in this game. Um, you know, Gaston Olomides really had his problems, got substituted. Uh, you know, Akdal was decent. Uh, but after that, that's basically it. And, and uh, you probably can say Audero was all right and uh, was maybe had a hand in uh, keeping this from being worse than 3-0. Uh, but there's there wasn't anything to really enjoy from the Sampdoria side. Rocco, it seems like... What do we do with Sampdoria? Because if they if every game was played at the Marassi, they might be one of the top teams in the league. But when they go away, they just implode, and it seems to be no solution for it. Frank and I have been scratching our heads for years now about this. What what can Gianpaolo do to correct the the woes that they have on the road, uh, Sampdoria? That is. Yeah, you know, I'm not even sure that the the rule or the 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 pattern that you described there is even correct because you know they just seem to be completely spotty like yeah. it's not even a oh they they're undestructible at home like almost like any team that Rea used to coach but and then away it's it's completely it, it, they can't they can't buy a goal if their life depended on it these guys will go on a two-game uh, losing streak at home, and then they'll win the next two away. Uh, like it, really, really odd type of team to predict. It, it's one of those that whenever you know I, I do choose to put a couple of bucks on a game, and I, I always, always regret doing that <laughs> with uh, with somebody else. Uh, it's just one of those teams. Is that a reflection um, on the coach or the team? <clears throat> Uh, I'm not even. I'm not even sure. I, I think. I mean, I think ultimately, when when you have when you have the players that will play for you in and out, like week in week out, and have consistency, I think it may also speak to uh, physical prep. It, it might that right, might right. be that might be part of it. Um, or uh, you know, Gianpaolo is 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 kind of an ideological coach. You know, as a ideological coaches have their set game play and their set way of going about things and who knows maybe sometimes he gets he gets figured out and that's 
uh, and whoever's counter uh, uh, preparing the game on the other hand, on the other side, you know, knows his gameplay and, and calls him out on it. Yeah, I have some. I have I have the, uh, the the form stats on Sampdoria for everybody. They're they're in eighth on thirty three points. Um, they uh, they have the sixth best home record in Serie A, playing ten games, twenty points with a plus eleven uh, goal difference. Uh, when they go away, uh, they played twelve. They only have thirteen points with a goal difference of minus one. But they're so such an inconsistent team, and like like Rocco said, they are the, the they are the true Jekyll and Hyde team of City. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and even if you look back at at their fixtures, right? I mean, you know, they they blow out Udinese the game before this one. They'll tie three three against uh, against the sorry Fiorentina, right? And then they lost that the other one at Marassi two nothing against uh, yeah. Milan, yeah. right? And they lose the other one away at, at J Stadium, and okay, yeah, I mean there was a lot of controversy in that one. And then before that, they came off three consecutive wins. Like it, it, like I said, they're streaky. Right, it's not even. It has nothing to do with a home or away. They'll just be like, "Yeah, we're gonna win the next three games, and then lose the next two games." You know, it's just crazy. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, if, if there's a team that's the opposite of them, uh, I would say it's Juventus. Uh, Juventus. If you're looking at the neutral outside, I'm sure they thought this game was the game of the weekend by the scoreline. Uh, Juventus is one of the most consistent teams, uh, in the last in the last decade at least. Uh, well, this game would be played at the J or the Alliance Stadium, if you will. Um, you know, last week when we were talking about this game, we were talking about Parma's schedule in particular and how daunting it was. And it starts with Juventus and, and, and the teams that they have to go through. Um, we we do mention, um, and I'll pat myself on the back on this one. I said Parma always gives Juventus trouble. Now, there's no, I wasn't going to say that they're going to tie Juventus at the J, but uh, Parma always seemed to give trouble in the first game. Uh, the first game during the uh, first half of the season. Uh, it was a close game, and it was it gave Juventus all they could handle in that one. And uh, this one was uh, true to form with that. Um, of course, you know the game started out quickly for for Juventus. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo he would get a goal. It looked like he was a fadeaway shot, uh, Rocco, if you will. Uh, he was falling. It looked like he was falling down. Gets a goal nonetheless. Uh, one nothing for Juventus, but uh, uh, it shows that a 34 year old who's in, in tip top shape, uh, probably better shape than some 24 year olds out there. Uh, he he could still score a goal with power. Um, yeah, it got deflected, but uh, he's falling down. I mean, how many guys can do that? Yeah, no, that that was that was a well taken uh, goal. Got lucky on that one, uh, to be honest. But that that deflection, I think, uh, was enough to to beat uh, to beat Parma's goalkeeper there with a. The, it just kind of looked like it bounced bounced down and over him. Yeah. And uh, safety and um, and you know he just got away with one. But yeah, Juventus pretty consistent. You know, I mean, you know, we we got uh, Parma scoring three on us on the weekend and Atalanta scoring three on us on the midweek. So that's pretty consistent. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, Frank, you know they went into halftime one nothing, and you you got to like Parma's chances at that point because you're only down a goal at the J. Um, Parma got to be feeling feeling good because uh, you know Juventus they, they they know how to score goals. Well, I guess you're, you'll be one that says that you know they they're, they're smart about it. They don't win, they don't blow anybody out, but um, when they have their chances, they do score. Yeah, they do. Um, you know, this was just th- this was a strange one. This was a strange one for me when I was watching it in the first half. I. I thought that Juventus didn't. They they had more 
you know they they had superiority and they were they were getting forward and I think Ronaldo's goal was kind of a, a microcosm of how Parma defended in that first half. I just I found yeah. them to be all over the place, and on that goal, it just Ronaldo had yards of space. Uh, was was stunning to me that nobody got over there and got to him, so it was easy to play the ball into him, uh, you know, and allow him to have that finish. But I think, like I said, that was just kind of a, you know, just a sampling of what you saw in the first half, and it was just. Uh, you know, with some of the quality that Hugh they have to offer going forward, uh, Ben Zukic was back uh, for them, and Douglas Costa, who had been flashing some uh, some pretty good form. It was it was surprising to me that they didn't uh, you know they didn't have more than one before halftime. Uh, Kadira had uh, one off the post uh, yeah. that he came close to scoring, and uh, they gave him plenty of room to take that shot too. It, um, Kadira's in Rocco. Kadira's an interesting one for me. Here's the Kadira fascinates me with you people. Um, mm. He he's he's a guy that you guys will just destroy at every opportunity, and then all of a sudden, like it seems like the next game after you guys have Twitter after Juve Twitter just gets done destroying this guy. The next game he the next game he plays, he scores a goal or he does something rather significant, and he almost did it here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, almost is the operative word, right? <laughs> um, and actually, I almost did it twice, right? Because he hit a post in the second half with a yeah, he uh, had another chance in the second half too. Yeah, right. So you know, and to be honest, that Kadira's Kadira, I don't, I don't fault him because um, you know he really tries his hardest. But you know, he's getting up there in age. If I, I'll, I would love to have Kadira, a twenty-six-year-old Kadira, no problem. Yeah. But just his the, the, on the physical side, you can tell he's just. His running is is has suffered and and has degraded uh, significantly. But what's amazing about Kadir is his ability to is the fact that he gets played with whichever whoever coach or whichever whichever uh, coach he's under. They love having Kadir on the field because he is tactically astute. Uh, and you know I've been watching some of his movements and in particular in this match here. I mean, let alone getting you know getting forward. Um, but even you know, making sure that he's that he gets in in the passing lanes and always is always making himself available in order to keep uh, gameplay fluid and and moving forward. Um, you know, Kedira for that is that is the prime reason why Kedira is still uh, revered by uh, by uh, Allegri, in my opinion. But uh, you know, he's he's lacking. He's 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 lacking physically, and who's uh, worse, and I find uh, it might be just his spell this year at Juventus. Um, is uh, is is the younger Kadira, also known as Emre Chan, uh, who is absolutely struggling. Uh, I, I think his something's happened with him hormonally as a result of the uh, of the thyroid operation. Uh, he just he just seems like he's missing a couple of spark plugs, you know, and, and he just can't get going. It, I, I, I long for the Emre Chan scene at Liverpool. This guy, I can't recognize. Is, is, is also, I mean, I, I get it with the thyroid is also some of it just to try, still trying to adapt to new surroundings in, in, in a new league or just he's, he's been with the team for over half a season and that excuse can only go so far. Yeah, no, I, I, he, he, he looks lost out there. And I mean, to his credit, uh, Allegri is trying him, is plugging him in in different, is trying him in different 
different positions, but he's really a mezzala, right? He's supposed to be the the guy who goes out there and uh, recoups balls, chases balls, gets them back, cleans them up, passes them over to to Pjanic, passes them open and opens them up to the to the right to Cancelo or to the left to Alexandro, and and moves the the play forward that way, but. We haven't seen that much from him. He, it reminds me a lot of Matuidi last year had seemed to be the, the player who was losing balls instead of recouping balls. Uh, would get uh, time and again would get the best chances because you know he's the best player. He's at the right. He's the worst player at the right spot at the right time. Uh, you know just because of his feet. And you know same can be said about. About Kedira, uh, to be to be quite honest, but yeah, Chan, same thing. He 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 definitely needs to be to step that up uh, in order to prove that the sixteen million dollar uh, signing bonus, if, you know, it wasn't called that, but it, that's basically Tomah, what it was, um, you know, is worth it. Right, right, and you know, you you kind of mentioned that. Uh, if it's like almost like Chan is missing some spark plugs, and um, speaking of missing some spark plugs, uh, we failed to mention this in the beginning, but you know Juventus they kind of started with like kind of makeshift experimental back four when you had Cancelo, Casadas, Rugani, and Spinazzola. Um, what did you make Rocco of this back four that Juventus came out with? Because could that be some of the problems that Frank is talking about? How um, Later on in the game, we'd see that the, the the goals would open up and and guys would be left open. It just it's not your normal back four, and I guess yeah, I understand rotation. And Rugani would get a goal here in the sixty second minute, but um, these are guys that haven't played that much with each other. Uh, Spinazzola's in a different position, and Casadas hasn't played too much of center back. I mean, he has, but uh, not as much as Rugani. Yeah, no, I, I think these guys here have have had as much. Um, you know, no, I think I think you can just grab a bunch of guys from the pub, from each <laughs> corner, corner of a pub, and put them all together, and they'd have they'd know each other mo- more than these four guys that uh, <laughs> that lined up against Parma yeah. today, uh, this weekend. Um, some of know, the Milan show, some of the Milan Twitter crowd, some of the Milan Twitter crowd were saying that uh, the Juventus back four was is is worse than any of the any back fours that the Milan uh, banter era put out. <laughs> So. No chance. No chance. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know about that. <laughs> we did not have Kevin Constant. Come on. I was going to say. I think you'd gladly take Spinazzola <laughs> over Constant. I think you would gladly oh, take Casares over uh, Bocchetti. Um, oh, uh, had uh, you know some of the disasters that came from that uh, from that era. <laughs> yeah, and you know what I mean. I'll give Casares a and you know a solid vote or a solid uh, grade for for effort. Um, but to, let's be completely honest here. I mean, Spinazzola pushed up a lot. Cancelo naturally pushes up a lot. And at the wrong possible times, we kind of got some rather lackadaisical uh, defending, some tactical indiscipline from from uh, our uh, fullbacks, let's call them, right? And instead, we were hoping for the kind of support that would allow uh, Rugani and Casares to mind the center of the box as opposed to being drawn out, which is what happened and which is what happened, uh, especially in the, in occasion of Barilla's goal. Uh, so that was, uh, that was, yeah, that, which was really inexcusable and, and, and very un, un-Juventus like, but having said all that, any given Sunday, you know, nine Sundays out of 10, 
uh, or Saturdays out of 10, Juventus wins this game uh, without without a 93rd uh, minute goal there by, by Gervinho after a, a, a very chaotic and, um, you know, just a mess that we made in the back. With uh, with Mandzukic flipping that ball over, which then you know got centered, and it was just it was just ridiculous. It was a ridiculous thing. And to be honest, the the it's, and the takeaway point there that the the the, uh, the the big title in in caps would have been you know Ronaldo Day, right? A brace and assist done three two. We go home happy. Uh, you know, still some. You know, we get away with one with with a few defensive uh, mistakes, but you know we kind of grind it out. Not the case. Not the case on Saturday with Juventus. Lost two points at home once again. Uh, that uh, that hopefully we won't be we won't be thinking about later on in the season. Yeah, they gave up not only a two nothing lead but then a three one lead as well. Uh, yes, you said Ronaldo got a brace as did Gervinho in this one. Um, it's funny because, Frank, a lot of uh, anti-Uver Twitterers all of a sudden say, oh, the, the title race is open again. And I'm like, eh, that's a little too soon for that. Uh, yeah, they got, a, they got a point out of this, sure, but uh, they didn't get to three points. But it's, it's, still, it's still too too big of a gap at this point for me to say title race is on. How about you? No, this, this, still, this thing's still over. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I mean, and, and I, this is just people want to just – clutch for a fairy tale and try to create something and maybe maybe while you know we have you know some of the issues with with Juventus patching it together in the back that they drop a few points here um and Napoli could could seize and get uh get some momentum off of that I just think the closest Napoli will ever get is maybe five points at this rate um just because I think Juventus are going to continue to find ways to win. I mean, this is just how they operate. And, uh, you know, they're having to do it with some different players, especially on the, especially defensively. Uh, they played a Parma team that, as you said, Richard, this is, this is a Parma team that is a thorn in Juventus's side uh, for whatever reason. And, um, you know, I think that this, this is all going to correct itself as we go. Uh, I don't think, I don't think there's a title race just because Gervinho uh, uh, was able to snatch a, 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 a late equalizer that padding should have been able to come up with. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, Rock overall, um, you were happy with the, with the, the, the point. I mean, obviously you'd want three points at home, uh, but uh, no, no. Yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I like I'm the honesty. Very, I love the honesty. I'm a very, uh, demanding Juventus fan. Um, I'll tell you, I, uh, I, I had a very busy Saturday on my the personal side uh, of things and uh, I made time I cut out time to watch this game and you know it ended at the 93rd minute with my my hands in my hair uh just 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 saying what the hell are you guys doing guys of course you know I saw uh, six goals though come on <laughs> the night the night the night the night passed and you know after a couple of days you kind of look at things from a 30,000 foot perspective and say you know uh, we would have been happy. I would have signed in blood the it, to, to say that you know Juventus would be facing uh, you know the toughest part of uh, of their season uh, going into the Champions League match uh, with uh, a substantial lead over the second place team in order to, which enables the team to uh, 
to recuperate, to, uh, to take a, a deep breath. Um, let's also take a look at what's going on around um, the other major leagues uh, in, in Europe. You know, PSG lost their first game. Um, Barcelona did not have a good showing this weekend. Uh, uh, Bayern lost. Borussia uh, drew. Um, yeah, Atletico Madrid, our adversary, uh, lost to Betis. So there's a bit Liverpool of a, drew, Liverpool drew today. And Liverpool drew today. So there's a bit of there's a bit of a flu going about in uh, the Champions League participants right now, which either points to the fact that everyone's on the same kind of uh, physical in physical shape and looking to, you know, letting up before before going hard, um, or something's up, right? Or it's just complete chance occurrence. But, you know, so I'm not too disheartened. Uh, I will take the nine-point lead and hopefully maintain and or build on that. Um, but, you know, the big, big game everyone's really honing in on um, is the one, is game against Atletico. In the meantime, we do have to play. Uh, so we have to visit uh, Sassuolo, which is always a tough game for us. Um, you know, uh, Dybala Hattricks, uh, barring any of those. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and then we are gonna, we're going to host Frosinone before before going away to the uh, Banda Metropolitana, hoping, of course, that that it will not be our only trip to that stadium this year. <laughs> Very nice. So those were our uh, those were the uh, two games that didn't. Uh, well, they're, they're, they're very good alternatives. If you didn't think Roma-Milan were the main event, they were both very good. Napoli 3, Sampdoria 0. Juventus 3, Parma 3. Uh, go to Ad City. I'll sit down on Twitter or Instagram with your reaction. And uh, let's get to the rest. Okay, everything began on Saturday with a, uh, I guess we can call this a relegation uh it, it, let's just call it a bottom of the table clash because Kiev is done. They're going to go down, um, uh, sitting there, you know, sitting in the position that they're in. Obviously, hard to recover, but Empoli really need to watch themselves at this point of the season. Sitting in 17th, uh, Bologna uh, with uh, uh, Sinisa Mihailovic trying to right that ship now, putting some pressure on them. More on them uh, here in a little bit, but it would uh, it would end 2-2. Uh, Kievo actually uh, ended up with a. Uh, two nil two, with a two nil lead, they opened through Emanuele Giacarini, which is a goal of the week. Or we're going to deviate on City. I sit down this week, Richard. We're going to say plays of the week because uh, Donald was double save is going to be in the top five, um, or it better be when I see your YouTube video this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was Giacarini on the on assist from uh, Jordovic, but uh, Giacarini a, a candidate for plays of the week. Um, for those that wanted to get a head start going to the concession stand and go to take a leak uh, before halftime of this game, they were sorely disappointed because they missed out. In the 45th minute plus one, Mariusz Stempinski would double the lead for Kievo to make it two goals to nil. Uh, and then just a minute after that, before the referee blows his halftime whistle, my cousin, Francesco Caputo, we really don't know if he's my cousin, but uh, my mom's maiden name is Caputo, and we think that there's there's root there's 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 lineage there. But uh, are you Barese? Are you half Barese? Uh, my Your mom's mom? side Body. came from uh, the Caputos came from Potenza. Uh, ah, okay. Well, Francesco Caputo's from Noicattaro. is a small. It's a town. Yeah. Uh, in uh, in the province of Bari. So, and I'm Barese, so he's I kind of. 
I do have an eye for him. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. It's 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 possible. We could have had some caputos drift out that way, but uh, sure. uh, <laughs> but but you never know. But uh, uh, but Francesco Caputo makes it two one just before the halftime break on an assist from Giovanni Lorenzo, and in the fifty second minute, Francesco Caputo would equalize. Those were the goals there, two two between Empoli and Chievo. Uh, Spall and Torino didn't find it convenient to score goals, um, and Nicolas and Colu got two yellows and was sent off. So that one ended nil nil. Uh, Genoa and Sassuolo. Uh, that was 1-1. Juricic uh, scoring on a plays of the week candidate. Uh, a fantastic bit of team play by Sassuolo uh, to give the Nero Verdi the lead. And uh, Sanabria in the 41st minute. Second appearance for Genoa. Second goal. But maybe it's the team. Well, it's not the team because Piontek has three goals in, in, in two starts. So uh, in all comps. So uh, but Sanabria, who is Piontek's replacement, effectively now has his second goal uh, in Genoa colors, uh, rescues a point for the Grifone and Cesare Fernandelli. Uh, Udinese won, Fiorentina won. Here we go again with Fiorentina. Just when we think they're starting to make that leap and they're starting to do wonderful things, then they can't beat Udinese. Um, uh, Stry- Jans Stryger Larsen scoring in the 56 minute, and then it was Fernandez uh, with a play of the week candidate equalizing in the 65th. Uh, you know, the last game that we'll cover on Sunday, we're going to get to after we wrap up the Monday games. Inter nil, Bologna won. Sinisa Mihailovic, first game in charge, whips these guys into shape, goes to the San Siro, beats an out of form Inter team 1 0. Federico Santander with the goal. Uh, so the Rosso Blue get a big three points in their effort to get out of the bottom three, as I predicted that they would get out of the bottom three. So this is a pretty nice start in that direction. Uh, we're going to talk about Inter here in a minute. Um, the Monday games, Frosinone nil, Lazio one. It was Felipe Caicedo in the 36th minute there. And then Cagliari nil, Atalanta one. Atalanta keep on winning. Hans Hattabor in the 50th minute. Duvan Zapata doesn't score. All of a sudden, terrible. <laughs> so just kidding. Um, Inter, Rocco, what a mess! Oh man, this—I don't even know when to where to start with this team. I mean, uh, I, I recall when Spalletti took this took over this team. He said, "No, I don't want any new acquisitions, any new players." He basically took the team that was handed to him and brought them to a Champions League qualification spot. Amazing. What does he do? He wants, he, he, he asks for players. He gets the players he wants, among other things, his boy, Nangolan, who allows him to work, to play the, exactly the style he wants, the, you know, whatever worked at Roma. And guess what? He loses the plot. I am completely scratched in my head at what's going on in this, in, 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 uh, at the, the La Pinetina, uh, at Inter. Uh, I'm I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss. Um, it, it may be it may be the fact that the opposite of what's happening at Roma, where the players rallied around Di Francesco. Here instead, the players that Spalletti himself wanted in uh, Milan with him are the ones abandoning him. I mean, Nangolan should be his team captain. He should not, you know, team captain. He should be his go-to player. He should be the guy who's rallying the troops to say, come on down guys, this is it. You know, let's, let's hunker down. Let's get her done. Um, there may be a bit of a camp, right? 
Spalletti's boys camp and then everybody else. And there's, those are, 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 are clashing. And on top of that, the cherry of all cherries is Vandanara pushing for a renewal for her husband. I mean, you know, talk about a complete show, right? And here we go. Here is the result. This is, this is what you get. Oddly enough, at the beginning of the season, I believe Inter made four points in the first four games. This kind of pattern is repeating itself exactly at this point. I mean, and Richard, in this game, and, and here's the problem with Inter. Aside from a 125th-minute penalty from Mauro Icardi in the Coppa Italia against Lazio, Inter have not scored in the new year. And they're not even close to scoring. Um, you have a striker like Mauro Icardi. You splash the money to bring in a guy like Latauro Martinez. Uh, and you get 16 shots against Bologna, you should be getting more than three on target. I mean, Skorupski, he I think he had one fantastic save in this game. Yeah. You know, the other two, he wasn't troubled at all. I mean, I mean for the for the quality that they have and, and for Spalletti's systems where the center forwards should thrive, this is just this is just pitiful. Yeah, and it kind of goes with the, with the listener question we got, which is uh, from an, an Inter fan. His name's Eric, and he says, "What brought the meltdown of Inter?" Well, I'll tell you what it is. The clock, the the calendar change over to January. We've seen this every year. It's right after yeah. the transfer, during the transfer window. Uh, the team just starts going haywire, and no matter what kind of start they have, they always get hot just before the Christmas break, and then right after Christmas, they they just fall apart. And it happens every year with them. And it's right on, right on, right on cue. The train's coming on the station now. And uh, it's 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 not only with Inter, it's also with Spalletti too. When he was at Roma, the same thing was going on there as well. So it just it just keeps going on with these with these two, and now they're together, and it's uh, it's a beautiful thing to see if you're not an Inter fan. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I understand the headaches that they must be going through because you know we've gone through that as Milanese as well. So um, yeah, it's just a typical Inter thing. It's all mental stuff right now, I think, and they need to find a way to get over. It. I mean, like like Rocco said, they got the the Cardi contract situation going on. You got probably separations in the camp with uh, uh, Spalletti's guys and the, and the guys, the people who are not his guys. And uh, it's kind of what happened in Roma too when he left there. And you know he he kind of grew away from from Totti and it kind of dismantled against the fans. The fans kind of went against him. And you're starting to get that with Inter too. And um, that's not even to mention what's going on with the, with the crowd. The fans at Inter are really being really pathetic right now. You know they had a banner out before the game, but um, that's besides the point. Enter the team as far as the club on the, on the pitch. They're struggling, and it's the same thing we see year in year out. Are they at the moment the dysfunctional family of Serie A? Are we safe? Are we are we all in agreement in saying that? They took it from Kievo. <laughs> Did they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're absolutely. It's it's a mess. The environment there. I think it's the first thing. Um, the dynamics, environment, whatever you want to call it, and Spalletti, even in good times, didn't even um, didn't even do a good job at say handling the media, right? Like he's a guy where you're trying to help him out, you're trying to lob him as a media guy, you're trying to lob him a great fruit, and he'll like twist your question around and ask you what kind of question you're asking, and like you know question the validity of your question. Yeah, like, he hates him. Hate dealing with him, and he and it's not it's not really it's not the media's fault. It's they they rightfully so uh, right. uh, hate dealing with him because because he's just he's just a cantankerous kind of 
a character to deal with. Um, you know, it, the future does not bode well for Inter either. If uh, if the same Parma that showed up in the last couple of games uh, shows up at the Tardini, where Inter will be uh, will be guests, will be visitors on uh, on February 9th. So, uh, and then they got that's a few days before the uh, the Europa League uh, match too. So, where uh, hopefully they'll they'll try to. Uh, continue. This is a very delicate stage, and I wouldn't be surprised if there would be if there will be a surprise uh, against uh, the Austrian side, uh, Rapid Vienna. I um, I was watching the you know we were watching the end of the highlights of the Bologna Inter game, and they had the camera panned on Spalletti's face, and my son was watching it with me, and he said, "Daddy, Inter's coach looks very upset," and I told him, I said. I don't know if he's upset because that's the same face that he has all the time. He has that face when they <laughs> score. Rustin bitch face. Yeah. <laughs> Just, he looks miserable all the time. He's not miserable like people in Zagi look miserable at Bologna, like, get me the hell out of here. But he just looks like a miserable man right now. And I don't know why. It's just like he just, he looks like he, when he was, he was doing this at Roma. When, when Roma would score, he walks around with his head down like he lost his last friend. Uh, it's just like, if, I mean, if you're going to do this, at least pretend you like it, you know? Um, so, but let me ask this question for you guys now. I mean, we were taught, the, the talks about the race for fourth. You know, for the longest time, um, it, Milan's sitting in fourth on thirty-six. Inter, and they're only four behind Inter now. Is it? You know, when you look at Atalanta, Roma, Lazio, and let's throw Sampdoria in there for now. Um, you know, are we talking about? We're not. Instead of talking about five teams for one final Champions League place, should we officially say we've got six teams fighting for two Champions League places? I think that uh, I think that Inter needs to lose another game before we can say that. Uh, if Inter loses one more match or the next match against Parma, and the rest of the pack um, continues on with the same pace, then yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, we need to see through a few a few weeks first and see how the uh, the rankings shake out. Uh, and at that point, I think we'd have a a better idea, but uh, that's that. That is the story in Serie A, I believe. And I think you touched upon it. It is the race for uh, for Europe, right? For those for those last two or that last uh, Champions League berth spot, as well as uh, you know whatever whatever's left left uh, behind. And sadly, we're going to see one team between Inter, Milan, Atalanta, Roma, and Lazio, uh, that is going to be completely out of, uh, out of Europe, out of, unless, unless they win the, unless one between Milan, Atalanta, or Lazio wins the, uh, the uh, Coppa Italia. Of course, let's not forget uh, Fiorentina's in there too. So For sure. uh, that, that could be, yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting. I really love the Coppa Italia and how, like the last teams that are left, you know, it, it becomes a true season's objective because it will be for some teams the way through which they will they will uh, earn uh, a European competition spot, particularly Lazio and Fiorentina. It'll be sure. the guaranteed spot for them. I, th- yeah. I think I think Rocco's like right on nailed nailed the, the point exactly where had Milan won this weekend and made it a one point gap, I'd say yeah, it's absolutely a. A race for the last two spots, but I think at this point it's still four points, and 
we got to wait to see if, you know, Inter lose again and, and either Milan, Atalanta, Roma, or Lazio, or even Sampdoria can get a win, um, specifically the, the first four teams. If they can close that gap to within one point or one or two points, then I'm going to say, yeah, it's an open race. At this moment, though, I think there's still just enough cushioning and there's enough inconsistency with the other teams that it's still uh, their third spot. Okay. Last uh, last thing about this batch, and I want to talk about Fiorentina. Um, it, this was a match where they had uh, superiority in possession. I feel like they're a team that needs to have a game plan where they, with the, with the personnel that they have and with Luis Muriel on board, I think they're better fit for, for more of a counter-attacking game. Um, I think they're better fit for maybe not playing totally low block. They don't have to do that, but you know, start approaching the opponent in the middle of the pitch, where if they could win the ball and then break, you know, unleash Chiesa, unleash Muriel, because you saw them do it to devastating effect when they were down to ten men against Chievo, and fine, that's Chievo. They did it against Roma too, pretty much. But they did it against Roma. Yeah, I mean, is is it growing pains? This is a this is still a relatively young team too, Rocco. When you consider the talent. Should Pioli look at his tactics here and say, you know, we're just far more deadly when we let the other team have the ball and we can hit them on the break than trying to, you know, be superior in possession? Yeah, no, I think there's something to be said for for those for uh, the counterattacking uh, tactic uh, because there is potential. Fiorentina does have uh, super fast players up there with, with Chiesa and now, especially how Moria has dropped into the team, you know, you know, it's, I think it's, I think it's great, but, you know, I, I suppose that when they're playing a tougher opposition, that's something that they can do. Um, they just need the, the experience and the, and the mental toughness in order to sustain defending for, for extended periods of time. Cause that, that's also exhausting. Um, you know, they, uh, you know, Milankovic, I think, is one of the revelation defenders in the, of this of this season. Uh, I agree with that. And, you know, and their Petzellas, their, their their captains, is has done is doing a great uh, job so far. And you know, it's but it's it's hard. It's hard to to kind of to have that. I mean, it, it's it's a tactic. It's something that they need to work on, maybe, and have in their keep in their back pocket. And certainly something that they uh, they will have to deploy against. Uh, their very next opponent when Napoli visits the Franchi at the next round. Indeed, indeed. Let's see. Uh, let's see how that works out too. I, I just, I, 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 you know, just with what they've got going forward, it's just, it's far deadlier. Um, so I think that you know that's something that Pioli's got to take a pretty strong look at and and see if he can if he can make those shifts. Anything else uh, that we're seeing, uh, Richard, that that caught your eye from these batch of games? Yeah, um, you know, uh, Nicholas Nkolo, his red card, uh, well, two yellows into a red. Honestly, I think his first yellow could have been a red card the way he scissored, uh, scissor grabbed the, 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 the opposing player when he took him down. I thought it was a very reckless, dangerous play for the first yellow. So I thought it was inevitable that he got a yellow, just unfortunately for Spa that he didn't get the yellow early in the, or the red early in the game. Um, looking around the league as well, you know, Sassuolo, again, they continue to impress me how they're, they're coming together as a team, and, and, and that goal was uh, indicative of that. They played very well lately. Uh, Duncan kind of started that whole play, and uh, he's been a revelation for them this season. I mean, Genoa as well, if you want to stick to that game, they can still score without Piantic, right? It, it's just put another piece in there, and, and they still got Kwame playing for the season, and they got the rest of the guys there. 
uh, Crescito and, 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 and the bunch. So, um, you know, they're, they're impressed me there that they, they can still score despite not, besides losing their, their talisman there. So, um, those are the main things that really stuck out to me this weekend. And obviously enters, uh, the big thorn for everybody's side. Okay. Rocco, anything else, uh, from this, uh, from this batch of games that you saw? Yeah. The only thing uh, I would bring up is, uh, today's games to grind out wins by, uh, uh, UCL birth hopefuls uh, Lazio and Atalanta one nothing one nothing away from home for uh, each one of those teams and you know uh, complete different games complete different focus complete different but you know same result and uh, this suggests that we're going to see Lazio and Atalanta in this uh, at least self belief right now is that they're they're going to be there uh, you know to the long for the long haul for that uh, last Champions League birth spot. Excellent. Um, all right, uh, let's uh, let's wrap up match week twenty two with a winner and loser. Uh, Richard, you first. A winner and a loser. Ooh, man, that's tough. Uh, the loser part's pretty easy, actually. It's, it's Internazionale. I mean, how could they not be? They they lost to Bologna, who was losing to everybody this season, right? Uh, the winner for me, I am going to go um, Caicedo. I think with Lazio. Uh, he's you know he's a guy who's been struggling to to get on the team you know consistently. Uh, he had a really nice goal uh, today actually, and um, I think him and, and Immobile are starting to play really really well together. And if if Lazio can find a way, and and, and another person is um, Luis Alberto, if if they can all get on the same page, I mean, and get Casero get some goals along with Immobile. They could, uh, if they played defense, yes, it's frozen on it. But if they can start playing defense and, and getting some goals in there, um, yeah, they, they can jump right back into this Champions League fight. Uh, we thought for a while that they might be out of Europa, Europe in general. Uh, but now um, maybe they can find their way back. Uh, it was a good performance by them, I thought, overall, despite who their opponent was. They still got to beat the big teams for me. That's just, yeah. just where I'm at and with I, it. I so. wonder if the Copitalia thing, even though they kind of won in penalties, if that's to kind of be motivation for them going forward, maybe that's going to be a turning point for them this season. Wait sure, and see. sure. So wait and see. Yeah, wait and see. I, uh, Rocco, how about you? Winner and loser? Yeah, I don't disagree with uh, Richard's assertion of Inter as the loser. The winners. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say Lazio and Atalanta. Uh, you know, gaining, uh, taking full advantage of Roman Milan's draw. You know, those are uh, the two positive uh, earnings right there. Napoli, you know, uh, uh, catching a, a couple of points, taking advantage of Juve uh, drawing. Uh, you know, even though chronologically it, it didn't really work out that way, but you know, good on them. I'm. I'll. I. Inter's too easy, so I'll. I'll get contrarian here and 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 make my loser Sampdoria. Um, the. The away woes are well documented, but to to lose away and not even look like you put up a fight, um, and I get that it's Napoli, but uh, if if you're going to run with the big boys, you want to finish top six, you want to have a European place, or you know whether it's Europa League or even vault to the Champions League, because Sampdoria are still in this thing on 33 points in eighth place, but they better figure out how to win away games, uh, and they better figure out pretty quick. Uh, so for me, they're the big loser uh, on 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 the slate this week. With you know, Inter notwithstanding, um, you know, the uh, the winner for me. Um, wow, I mean, there's 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 a few you can choose from here, but uh, I'm I'm going to go and uh, go ahead and give this to Sinisa Mihailovic, uh, debut manager, de- debut. 
uh, with Bologna uh, probably uh, did exactly what we thought he was going to do when he took over this when we had Michael on last week and we said his first words at Bologna are going to be, I'm here because you guys aren't very good at this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, whipped them into shape in, in, in one week, got them ready to go and play Inter, took advantage of an Inter team that's off form uh, and got three points. And if you're going to get out of this relegation uh, issue, you know, you need to find some points where you don't expect to get points. And then when you look at Inter Bologna on paper at the San Siro, uh, that's a zero pointer for Bologna in this, you know, in this journey. But they've got three, so in one game, Mihailovic is ahead of schedule as manager of Bologna and has gotten them off uh, to the right start, and now can really put some pressure on Empoli and move ahead of them uh, and work their way up to safety. So, uh, loser for me, Sampdoria. Winner for me, Sanisa Mihailovic, uh, the new manager at Bologna. Who are your winners and losers? Go to at Serie A, sit down on Twitter uh, or Instagram with your reactions to match week twenty two. Uh, we're going to wrap this up with a little Copa talk and uh, put a bow on the transfer window. Okay, gents, uh, Copa Italia. Um, you know, let's just uh, a couple quick questions that I just have on this. Uh, we we saw what happened over the course of uh, of those games. Milan beating Napoli by two goals to nil. Uh, Juve losing at Atalanta 3-0, Fiorentina 7, Roma 1, and uh, Inter and Lazio uh, 1-1 after extra time with Lazio winning on penalties. So your final four, Milan, uh, Atalanta, Fiorentina, and Lazio. So Atalanta and Fiorentina will play over two legs. Milan will play Lazio over two legs. Rocco, good for Italian football that none of the top three remain in this competition or bad? I think that's great. I think it's it's a great thing. And for once, uh, and funny enough, we're going to see the teams that are uh, involved in the uh, basically fourth to uh, to uh, seventh, with uh, skipping skipping over a few, and uh, including Fiorentina in there as well. Uh, you know, I think we we've got some we got a nice little dogfight. The Coppa Italia all of a sudden becomes a significant uh, <laughs> trophy. Um, and all of them want it in order to uh, validate uh, their uh, their season as a season objective. In some in some of the cases, it, it would be a historical feat, particularly in Atalanta's case. Um, I don't believe they've ever won the Coppa Italia. In Fiorentina, it will have been it will be the first time in a very long time that they that they would take home that kind of silverware. So. You know, uh, definitely something that that would sweeten the deal as far as season objectives are concerned. Overall, good for Italian football, and also uh, I like I, I like some of the Italian content that's on there. You know, um, of course, I'm, uh, I'm I'm disheartened that my team got uh, got eliminated, but you know, you got to leave the crumbs for the for the rest once in a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true Huventini. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Richard, uh, Richard, is this good? Is this good or bad for Italian football? Is it good to have the parody, or, or should one of these top, one of the current top three, uh, would it be nice to see one of the current top three? I should say, uh, still be in the mix. I mean, maybe to the outside people, but I think to Serie A fans, I think I think this is excellent. I mean, arguably, you have the four teams that are trying the hardest at the moment because Juve is kind of running away with the title, right? Napoli are comfortably in second, Inter are fairly comfortable in third. And so you got these other four teams that are really trying to get that last Champions League spot or get into the Champions League spot, and they're really playing really well at the moment other than Lazio. Um, but, you know, things could change. 
So these, I think these four teams are going to be the most four exciting teams to watch, and you're going to get a lot of interest because if you know if, if you had Juventus in there or not, but you're going to be like, okay, well they're they're probably going to win it. You know, now you're like, I'm not exactly sure who could win. I mean, Atalanta they they they, they beat Juventus three nothing, so they got a really great shot. Uh, Lazio they got goal scores in their team, so they could win. Fiorentina put up seven against Roma and and Milan. You know, trying to trying to get another trophy there so uh, it should be a fantastic uh, final four i think and any one of these teams win it's going to be great for them and it's going to catapult them uh, hopefully into a champions league spot um but yeah i mean if atalanta wins that's that'd be amazing cause I, I agree with you rocco i don't think they've they've won a, a Coppa italia so that would be fantastic and, and as a homer i would love to see milan win it so um long as it's good football that's all i care about I'm, I'm I, don't with you. You guys, I, don't, I don't know if you guys recall, but uh, I believe the first uh, Coppa delle Coppe, Cup, Cup Winners' Cup, was won by Fiorentina in 19, I want to say, 68. So with that, of course, that means that they would have had to win the their domestic cup because that's the Cup Winners' Cup was. Uh, that's where the participants right. came from. So right. I can't remember in the history of watching the Italian Cup. Fiorentina winning one, maybe in the 90s. But other than that, uh, no, I recall Fiorentina going to the final maybe once, but um, I can't really recall. Maybe with Ricosta, they won it once, maybe. But uh, my, my, my mental almanac is failing me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's called getting old. Um, yep. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm with you guys. I think this is good because you still have, you know, out of the four, three brand names of Italian football, if you will, throughout the history with Milan, Lazio, and Fiorentina. And you have in Atalanta a sustained project um, under Gian Mario Gasparini and uh, with the players that he has at his disposal. And I'd almost venture to say that they're probably the most dangerous team left uh, out of the four in this competition. So uh, I think it's great. I think it's going to set up for some exciting semifinal ties. So I'll I'll ask you guys first. Well, I'll go first, and I, you know I think it's going to be a final of Milan and Atalanta. Um, I uh, I think that uh, I'm picking Milan, yes, because it's a homer pick, but also because Lazio throughout the course of the season still have to beat you know a team you know the traditional six or the uh, the the you know, the conceived uh, or the perceived top six uh, of Italian football when you talk Juve, Napoli, Roma, Inter Milan, and, and, and Lazio. Um, they haven't beaten, they haven't won anyone. And, and yeah, they beat Inter on penalties. But let's remember that after 120 minutes, that was even, and you've got penalties to just decide who goes through. That's kind of how I technically look at that. It's a nice start for Lazio, but until they show that they can beat a, a, a big team uh, in Serie A, um, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't pass. I can't see them beating Milan, and especially the way Milan are defending now, um, and with the way they're starting to have some players round into form, and maybe by then Suzo uh, is back among the goals and the assists and starting to create, and you start seeing some other players contribute. So, and Atalanta, I just think while Fiorentina has some exciting players, Luis Muriel is is proving to. Uh, uh, be very much worth it with the start that he's off to. You've got obviously Chiesa and and what he's done. Um, you know, a couple of the players that have also uh, Milankovic. You referred to Rocco. Uh, I think that Atalanta just have just a little bit more with what they offer going forward. I I like obviously Duvan Zapata is in excellent form. I kind of kind of pick kind of folks fun them for not scoring against that Cagliari earlier. Um, 
today, but when you have, uh, you know, Zapata, you've got Gomez, you've got Ilicic, you know, and the defense is just good enough. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that they have just a little more going forward, even, and that's saying a lot considering what Fiorentina have to offer. So I'm going to go for Milan and Atalanta in the final of the Coppa Italia. Uh, Richard, who are your picks? Yeah, I think that's a good shout. I mean, because right now Milan are the more complete team of the, you know, if you compare them and Lazio, uh, they got the defense going and they, they can, all of a sudden they got a goal scorer, it seems like, well, at least one that can score goals at, at, at the moment, not just uh, a number nine. Um, so I like I still like Milan in that situation, and then Atalanta they're arguably the uh, the best team left, the uh, most well-rounded. They play the best at home, uh, definitely at home, and and away as well. They're not too bad. So um, you gotta you gotta like Atalanta slightly over Fiorentina. Well, Fiorentina, as you said, they're they're filled with young talent, but uh, they're they're a little bit too inconsistent for my my liking at the moment. Uh, Atalanta just seem to be on this mission this season, um, and they've been just playing really really well. Um, getting stronger as the year is going on. So um, I like Atalanta. I'm, I'm curious if Ilicic's injury uh, becomes becomes anything. I mean, it could just be a, a slight pull uh, he, that he suffered uh, in the Juventus match. But, um, yeah, I mean, Atalanta, they, sh- they should be going into the finals. And, and who wins that, that'll, that'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be uh, – depends on what kind of forms both these teams are in. But if you base it on current form, I would say if they, if they all played right now in like a round robin like next weekend, I'd pick Atalanta to win. Yeah, I think it's key. I think it's key uh, exactly when these teams will play each other and in what form they will be. We've seen Atalanta be rather streaky. They did they did fall in after a while with a into a bit of a deep uh, form uh, issue, uh, especially since uh, you, you'll recall at the beginning of the season they had had been involved with uh, with a champion uh, Europa League, sorry, qualification rounds right. since what July or something like that, and then now it seems they seem to be getting a second breath, uh, uh, you know, second wind of sorts. Um, in this case, uh, they're going to play Fiorentina at the end of February. So if they can carry this this form until the end of February uh, and come out of the Franchi with a decent result, then you're probably looking at a decent. Um, at, at a good possibility of Atalanta going through. Funny enough, they will play. Um, they will play Fiorentina the same uh, right after, like four, three or four days after, um, but in the uh, in the league. And the return leg instead is at the end of April of all things. So God knows what kind of <laughs> what kind of teams and what kind of forms are in, you know these teams are going to be in. So it's really really tough to call. Um, I don't know how. How these two teams match up his, uh, historically? I don't have, um, you know, at, on hand the uh, how when Fiorentina played uh, Atalanta in the in the first day one, they beat them two nothing in the at the Franchi back in the end of September. So you know, it, it's it's it may be one of those, right? It's really really tough uh, to call. And I'll, I agree. Uh, overall, the way the Milan that we're seeing as of late is uh, super solid, and knowing Lazio. Uh, they seem to drop uh, all the you know the big games against the big boys uh, almost all all the time. So um, yeah, I would say Amina and Atalanta is probably the show as a Coppa Italia final. Okay, so we're unanimous. We think it'll be a Milan Atalanta final in the Coppa yeah. Italia. Let's see if that actually happens. Okay, final. Uh, just a quick word on the uh, transfer window that closed uh, last week. Um, you know some of the significant moves. Um, and then, you know, and there were certainly, uh, there's certainly quite a few, plenty of significant moves out there. 
uh, uh, Paqueta and, and Piantic going to Milan, obviously, uh, you know, some pretty noteworthy stuff going on there. But Rocco, give me some, uh, uh, give me some uh, transfers that happened, uh, uh, you know, here in January that, uh, that piqued your interest. Well, uh, I mean, I, I, I gotta say, I, I, the Milan Milan is definitely the uh, the king of the transfer of this transfer window, at least uh, at least in my eyes. I mean, picking up the up and coming forward in uh, in Serie A and Piontek and Paqueta seems to seems to be a surprise package, um, you know, and. It has a, a ton of personality, slotted right in. But, you know, to, I mean, Milan, did, why would they be the kings? Well, they splashed, what, 75 mil on these, uh, sorry, 70 mil on these two players, right? So, you know, it, that's not that's not surprising at all. Everybody else really did treat the uh, January window as a, as a bit of an opportunity for to, to, to repair or to touch up uh, their team. Uh, I, I saw Bologna bring on... Uh, Sansone and uh, and another player his name Soriano. Is Soriano yes yes yep. yes Soriano and you know I like both of those acquisitions but you know they're basically their walls they're their backs against the wall uh, and uh, now with Mihailovic maybe uh, bringing on a bit of a bit of that uh, you know that that sergeant kind of uh, attitude to uh, to uh, Bologna uh, might might give them a little bit of that push that they need. So those might be those might be the more uh, significant uh, moves. Everyone else, you know, Napoli just got rid of Hamšík. We covered that. You know, Juve losing Benatia and replacing him with uh, with Casades probably leaves. I would I would argue Juve, Juve weakened uh, at the back, and we're seeing the effects of that immediately, uh, along with you know, as fate would want it, two injuries in that in that very same position. Um, you know, I, I don't inter inter added the Suarez. Uh, I think is is how you pronounce his name um, as a as at left back, I believe. And eh, we'll see what comes out of that. I, he I think he 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 played against Bologna, but I, I didn't really see any great you know flash of greatness uh, from him yet. But you know, just slotted right in there right off the bat. It's hard to uh, it's hard to assess. You know, he needs he needs some time. So yeah, right back. Um, he, he yeah. started it right. He started right it right back. back. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. Instead of Versalico, I, I suppose is, has been injured or or has fallen out of favor. I don't know. Maybe the the Croatian camp is is starting to weaken in uh, at, at Inter. And it's weird. They have three right backs there now between uh, Versalico versus you know uh, D'Ambrosio and now uh, Cedric Suarez there uh, for sure. Yeah. So. Um, you know, Richard, uh, are you, are you going to say Gabbiadini coming over from uh, Southampton to Sampdoria, or do you got another one? No, no, I'm not going to say him. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the Bologna shot's good because not only did they get Soriano and Sansone, but I think the the big pickup for them is Mihailovic. Um, he's going to straighten mm-hmm. them up and getting them, you know, get them fighting again to try to get out of the relegation spot. Um, Marek Hamšík obviously leaving Napoli that we talked about already going to China. That was big there, not not necessarily for Napoli, but just uh, you know, you're losing a player of his caliber out of a team, it it could certainly affect the team leadership. Uh, but the one I'm, the one I am liking the most at the moment is um, other outside of Milan, of course, is uh, Antonio Sanabria uh, going to Genoa. Mm. I mean, he was a proven scorer. The show. Yeah, he was a proven goal scorer in La Liga, and many were wondering if he could you know pick up Piantic left off. 
at least you know score some goals and he you know two games two goals so uh good for him you know he's a he's a paraguayan and um, I got a little bit of that lineage in me as well, so you know, a little shout out for him. But um, now nah, he's he if he can score goals and keep playing, you know the way uh, that you know Piantic was playing, not maybe not as many goals, but you know getting goals when they need it and helping Kwame out and help the team out, uh, that'll be a good pickup for them to get them away from the relegation zone as well. And uh, I'll I'll wrap this up by saying really really happy to see Luis Muriel back in Serie A um, and performing the way he is for Fiorentina. You know right off the bat. Uh, you know, scoring goals, scored against scored against Sampdoria, scored in the uh, uh, against Roma in the uh, uh, Copa quarterfinal. Uh, so he's just come right out of the shoot, scoring goals. He didn't score against Udinese, but still uh, uh, still was enough to be a threat in the game. So good for a player like him. Uh, who, it's astonishing me, astonishes me with the talent that he has that he hasn't found a club where he can hang his hat. Uh, so this is uh, this is definitely uh, uh, one to watch, and just making that Fiorentina attack much more lethal. So, uh, your thoughts on the transfer window? Go to at Serie Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. And at, with all of that, we're going to put a bow on this edition of Serie Sit Down. Uh, Rocco, uh, as always, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, the floor is yours, my friend, to uh, plug any plug away anything you want to uh, plug away. My pleasure. I would love it if your uh, listeners would go to my YouTube channel and subscribe. That's uh, Serie A Game of the Week. And uh, you can also ask, put Rocco in there, Serie A Game of the Week, and I'm sure it'll pop up. If you can subscribe, hit the bell so you get the videos as soon as they come out. I would uh, uh, be very pleased. And or you can interact with me on Twitter at Catenacho. NA, NA as in North America or not applicable. Uh, and uh, yeah, hit me up. Thank you. Excellent. And uh, thanks as always. Richard, what are you up to? Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Rocco. Uh, and then as the kids say, make sure you smash that like button right on YouTube. Uh, subscribe. So uh, <laughs> definitely, no, definitely check that out. Uh, it's a great piece there on YouTube. Um, for me, really. Uh, three minutes, uh, right? Just three minutes, under three minutes. I don't even waste your time. <laughs> I, I just ramble right. on and on. I usually take like 30 minutes. <laughs> anyway, um, no, yeah, I mean, other than the podcast right now, uh, I just did a piece for Breaking the Lines, uh, breaking down the uh, Manchester City Schalke Champions League uh, first round match or round of 16 match. So other than that, it's the only thing I'm doing outside of, you know, podcasting and, and I YouTube. Saw that. So, yeah. So well other than that, you can find me at R underscore K H A R M A N. Excellent. And uh, you can find me at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Uh, you can uh, find us. We have our own channel on iTunes. Uh, we have our own channel on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher and Spotify. We have our own channel on YouTube uh, where Richard will uh, put together the uh, top five plays of the week. Uh, it's plays this week because of the Donald Roman Devil save. I'm just going to keep saying that. Um, <laughs> Uh, at Serie A, sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Any uh, comments, anything you want us to cover on future podcasts, we'd uh, we'd love to hear it and love to have the opportunity to present that to you. Uh, so uh, once again, we want to thank Rocco for being our guest and congratulations on completing your hat trick of appearances on the Serie A sit down. Um, and uh, for Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you for listening. And as always, make sure you're telling your paisans about us. Ciao.